0: Okay, we're ready to do a countdown when you are.
1: I'm not ready yet.
0: I'm trying oh. to think of my joke.
1: Oh.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Is this going to take long? No.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm good. You're good? Yeah.
2: Are we good? Are we prepared? Brace yourselves for a countdown. Consider us braced. Okay. Five, four, I'm hearing echo. Okay, go for it. Two, five, four, three, two, one. Is that the dog?
1: Yep. Yeah, that was the dog. <laughs> <laughs> and she's not even near the microphone.
2: Yeah, no, I just heard the little puppy.
1: Dog is being.
2: Oh, was this dog Mike?
0: Yeah, this yeah. was <laughs> dog Mike. Oh, this was Mike. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now I'm conflicted. Oh. <laughs> 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 okay. You go with uh, Calvin. All right.
1: Bye, Athena. Oh, bye, bye. Bye, bye. Bye, bye.
3: To all the basement
2: dwellers. <laughs> 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 Moving right along.
4: You were on three. No, she, actually, she did it again and finished the countdown. Oh. But...
2: Mm-hmm. And then I guess Athena gave her opinion, which was... <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, well... Look at them, madam. Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful?
1: I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps.
4: Oh. oh, 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 oh this is the gentle art of philately, otherwise known as stamp collecting. Here's a pile of stamps carefully culled from swap meets and garage sales.
1: Rufus, what are you thinking
4: of? Oh, I was just thinking of all the years i wasted collecting stamps. Oh, like stamp collecting. Oh, no, that's all right. That's quite a nice hobby, that. Yeah, but it's not enough. Don't you understand? I'm lonely. I'm so terribly lonely.
3: All right, home. You beat those stamp Nazis with good old-fashioned American complaining.
0: Or oh, if it weren't for you, we'd be at the mercy of weekend philatelists. You know, why didn't you just say stamp collectors? Because I'm tired of dumbing myself down for you.
1: i Spain and two from Japan. I got a couple from Israel and Azerbaijan. I got a planet from Poland, but none from Sudan. or from Fiji or Uzbekistan.
0: Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.
2: Live from the Piave River in Italy where we are watching the Austrian troops charge out of their trenches. This is the award-winning stamp show here today, episode number 181.
0: I'm Cash. If you see your glass is half empty, pour it into a smaller glass and stop bitching.
1: <laughs> I'm Scott. Do you know what the difference between ignorance and disregard is? No. Well, I don't know, and I don't care. <laughs> that
2: was Evelyn's joke. <laughs> this
3: is Mark, and I have a limerick from Scott Number Thirty Six Fifty Nine. Some tortures are physical, and some are mental, but the one that is both is dental. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, so that's uh, obviously the dentist stamp.
3: That is Ogden Ogden
0: Nash. Oh, okay.
4: This is Tom, and I have no joke because I want to make everyone else seem funny.
2: <laughs> oh, take one for the team, huh, Tom?
4: If that's what you want to call it.
2: <laughs> and I'm your stamp mistress Dawn. As Marco Polo once said, I pretty much avoid sitting by pools now. What does that even mean, Cash? <laughs> <laughs> world War One was actually a world war, and that I mean that in July of 1914, the affair of Nyak. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I was going great, and then, the, wow, I hit that speed bump of a word. The affair of Nyak. Ny- Scott, help me!
3: Nayamakura.
1: Nayamakura.
2: Nayamakura. Okay, thank you. Oh, no. Where's, what's the Q word?
1: Kelomane.
2: Kelomane. Okay, I think I got the rest of these. From the top. World War One was actually a world war, and by that I mean that in July of 1914, the affair of Nyamakura occurred. That was in German East Africa near Kilimane. And if you ever saw stamps from Kilamane or Tanga or stamps overprinted BEA or GEA, You probably couldn't find these places on a map in a drunken bed. After this podcast, you'll know exactly where these are. Well, Kiliman is Portuguese East Africa near the British East Africa and German East Africa, which today are Burundi, Tanzania, and Rwanda. Germany lost all of its African colonies except for this one, and the German East Africa Company wanted to protect it. So the German general in charge of East Africa was all-around badass Colonel Paul von
1: Lethal Vorbeck.
2: I, I, Yeah, I know. I just, I had a...
0: No, she saw this. I am so she, she knows, out of practice. She knows all about this guy, too.
2: Oh, <coughs> I love this guy. So the German general in charge of East Africa was the all-around badass Colonel Paul von Lethal Vorbeck. Vorbeck was nicknamed the Lion of Africa. He was an officer in the Prussian army and the commander of its forces in German East Africa for four years, with a force that never exceeded about 14,000, which was made up of only about 3,000 Germans and 11,000 Africans. With this force, he held in check a force of 300,000 British, Belgian, and Portuguese troops, keeping them from going to the European front, as well as scoring many victories. That's uh,
0: loose wire. It's a loose wire. Well, it, it sounds it sounds yeah. really bad
1: there. Yeah, it's a loose wire. It's cutting in and out.
4: Um, Don It's our it's our fantabulous internet. Yeah. It's not wires. <laughs> ah.
1: hmm. <clears throat> I thought we just upgraded.
2: You have a wireless loose?
4: Yeah, we did. Good luck there.
2: With this force he held in check a force of three hundred thousand British, Belgian and Portuguese troops, keeping them from going to the European front as well as scoring many victories. Essentially undefeated, Vorbeck was the only German commander to successfully invade Imperial British soil, that being British East Africa. He took the Uganda Railway between Mombasa and Nairobi and also fought around Mount Kilimanjaro.
3: You say he took the Uganda Railway. Does that mean he bought a ticket and rode on it or
0: (laughs) took it by force? I think it means that uh, he had a cannon in front of it and say, (laughs) I I am taking this railroad. (laughs) Also, I didn't realize where Kilimanjaro was. Uh, You know, I always heard about it. But now I know because I saw it's right between British and German East Africa. And uh, they, like, fought on the slopes of
2: Kilimanjaro. Kind of neat. When the British invaded the capital of German East Africa, Tanga, for you collectors, the Germans faked that they would surrender to the huge amphibious British landing. that hold on, hold on.
0: We have a bad connection.
2: I know we do.
1: Yeah, you're going to have to just move out here.
2: (laughs) (laughs) When the British invaded the capital of German East Africa, Tango for you collectors, the Germans faked that they would surrender to the huge amphibious British landing that threatened the city. They said they needed permission to surrender and to watch out for mines in the harbor, which was a lie, but kept the British Navy away. So this gave Vorbeck time, and he reinforced the city with about 1,000 troops, which meant that the British only outnumbered the Germans by 8 to 1, which was not enough because, as you probably guessed, the British were forced to retreat. The British also lost at Mount Kilimanjaro, where British outnumbered Vorbeck by 4 to 1, and the Germans ended up capturing a bunch of gear.
0: Yeah, that was an interesting one because they really the Germans didn't send them anything. So they lacked everything. They lacked guns, they lacked bullets, they lacked gunpowder and everything. And Vorbeck, with, you know, defeating four times the number, captured all their munitions and everything and basically outfitted his army with British stuff.
2: Vorbeck also invaded Mozambique, which was Portuguese, and also invaded Rhodesia. His exploits have been described as the greatest single guerrilla operation in history and the most successful. And he surrendered only after the German surrender, actually two days late due to bad communication. He was not a perfect man, he was a racist. But he scores style points by telling Hitler to go (laughs) himself. Hitler offered Vorbeck the ambassadorship to England to which Vorbeck made the comment. Others say he didn't actually say go yourself but what he actually said was far more rude. I'm not really sure what's more rude than go f- yourself.
0: Well, it was to Hitler, so uh, yeah, style point. I loved this battle. I love these stamps. This is a great area. Um, the African Queen, the movie, uh, takes place during this period of time, except that Vorbeck never had a boat. So Humphrey Bogart blew up a boat that actually never existed. <laughs> And uh, for stamp collectors... You realize
2: that was a movie. None of this really existed.
0: Well, yeah, but he, it says it was based on true facts. Mm-hmm.
2: I, I, I guess... The opera for your movie.
0: Yeah, true facts. Mm-hmm. So, the, uh, yeah, this area generated a whole bunch of stamps, like uh, Quillmaine. I'm sorry, what's the name of that, Scott? Kellamane. Kelamaine. I've seen Kelamine stamp, Portuguese stamps. You have the key... The I, I don't know who the girl is, but you have the key values on the bottom. And you see that name, and I always wondered where it was. Now I know where it was. I had no clue before this. But you had British East Africa was above German East Africa, and Germany East Africa was above Portuguese East Africa, East Africa. And then Tango, which issued a whole bunch of stamps, that was actually the capital of German East Africa, but was held by the Portuguese before the Germans took it over. And... Uh, You have a great deal of stuff. To the immediate west of German East Africa was the Congo, which we discussed, the Belgian Congo. So as these troops were taking, and they eventually did take all of German East Africa, you had Belgian Congo stamps overprinted occupation. You had German East Africa stamps overprinted. You had British East African stamps overprinted. You had a whole bunch of neat overprinted stamps as this guy was basically winning but he just couldn't hold his territory and he kept falling back uh so it was kind of cool this whole story and anybody who wants more uh just go on youtube and uh, do a little search for vorbeck v-o-r-b-e-c-k interesting guy
3: now was this a matter of months or years that this took place
0: the entire war from Hmm. the beginning of the war to the end of the war he was basically 1914
3: to 1918
0: yeah yeah, And he always retreated, but he never lost a battle. And he 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 was a badass.
3: And he got no support from the German army? Well,
0: how? <laughs> 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 it's not like they had a railroad running down to German East Africa. And yeah. they, they yeah. certainly didn't have a navy that could get down there.
3: Well, he had that Uganda.
0: Yeah, he held, the ra- he held the railroad for like a year.
2: Shall I go on? Yep. In Europe, with the Russian surrender... The Austrian Empire is fighting mostly Italy, and not doing an overly good job of it. Mountains and rivers and tired troops cause the front to get bogged down, just like the trenches on the Western Front, and unlike the fighting in Africa. So let's go to Happier Place. Let's go to the pre-war time period of 1899 to 1907, and discuss varnish bars. What is that? <laughs> yes. I mean, it sounds like a a, a delicious, toxic treat.
4: Ooh. Well, as the 19th century slid into the 20th, Austria began to change its postal system to the new currency that began in August of 1892. Stamps were issued in the new currency with face value suited to the new postage rates. Most rates were straightforward con straightforward conversions of the old values but a few were increased like every country the Austrian Post thought that people might remove the cancellations from stamps and reuse them to this someone had the bright idea that if the stamps were printed with diagonal stripes of varnish removing the cancels would damage the stamp and make it unusable collectors who have over soaked these stamps and removed the varnish stripes also soaked off the stamps design the state printing works applied to the sheets stripes of varnish running from top left to bottom right. The stripes were small, giving part of three or four stripes on each stamp. The stripes were printed over the existing designs.
1: I thought they were printed under the the design.
0: Ah, you get too far ahead. You you read further in the script.
1: No, I've (laughs) soaked a (laughs) Hustrian (laughs) stamp. The first printing of
4: Striped stamps was in 1901, but here the stripes were printed on the blank paper and the stamp design added on top of it. Aha! It was found in use that the width of the stripes was too wide, so the width of the dull part of the stripe was reduced. This caused several widths of the bars. The Michelle catalog prices three types of varnish stripes five and a quarter millimeter, four and a quarter millimeter and two and a quarter millimeter wide and gives higher prices to the type two four and a quarter millimeter wide striped variety as it has been said by the Austrian Philatelic Society whose members attempted to separate these three types life is not quite that simple for a start the stripes and especially the dull part are not always easy to see and the need to squint along the stamp held up to the light is a sure recipe for eye strain. So thank you to the Austrian Philatelic Society and the world of Austrian stamps.
0: Oh yay yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like these stamps. Scott, you you know more about them than I do, but I was I've been collecting these for a while. I have never been able to measure the difference between a four and a half millimeter and a five and a half millimeter bar.
1: Well, not not using the Michelle catalog. I was unaware that there would be different width stripes although if i sat and thought about it i probably should have realized that maybe that might be something i should check but since they're not differentiated or priced in scott i never bothered to check and i just kind of accumulated a whole butt ton of them
0: well they do they uh scott's catalog does differentiate from the narrow to the wide but not from the two wides right
1: no, there might be a note in there that says they vary from narrow to wide, but other than that, it doesn't really say. Yeah, I mean, their listings for early Austria are really uh, quite generic in nature because y- you'll run up to a set and it'll say perf eight to oh yeah fifteen. <laughs> yes. Okay, that means the perforation gauge could be anywhere between there. Yeah. And it's it's makes collecting that in any sort of consistent fashion, uh, frustrating.
0: Oh, wait, now you collected Switzerland. I collected before the Scott's catalog busted those out. And it would list like perf 11 to 15. Well, some of those perf varieties are really valuable, like many thousands of dollars.
1: Exactly, but Scott doesn't break those out, so you don't know. Now, some of the earlier, the really early 1860s type, 1870s, they do break out the perforation varieties, mm-hmm. but in these varnish sets they do not. They're all lumped <coughs> together, and uh, so anybody who wants to to collect that area uh, really needs a specialized catalog. Oh,
0: absolutely. Well, it's the same thing with U.S. stamps. I mean, you know, th- th- we have perf twelves, perf ten and halves, perf elevens, and you know, there we probably some European catalog goes, eh, perf al- perf ten to twelve.
1: Well, you know, I do know that they do that with grills. It's either grilled or ungrilled.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: And uh, so they don't really necessarily differentiate between the banknote companies, and they also don't differentiate between the different grill types in the classic U.S. stamps there. And so they generally have the specialized, their specialized listings will have the different grill sizes, but they're all the same catalog number
3: as far as they're concerned. Yep. Well, can't these uh, since, since it's a varnish and it's different from the rest of the stamp? Can it be revealed under different types of light?
0: Yeah, that would be. Uh, it should be. Yeah, N- I've never tried it though. Put a UV light on it, and then it should be able to measure. Well, uh, measuring a four and a half width from a five and a half width—that's tough, and especially with like varnish, you'd expect it to, you know, sort of flare out at the sides or something like that i can't see it being perfectly
1: well anything that's applied anything that's printed like that you're going to have bleed or splash or whatever yeah Yeah, it's just it's not going to be crisp
0: yeah so finding the nice crisp edges is
1: nowadays you might get crisp nice crisp edges on a printing but uh back then i would question whether they even cared
0: yeah right now uh mark is looking at the 72 heller uh, with obviously narrow bars, I, I'm going to put that one. Everybody, look on Facebook and you can see what we're talking about. But these are the uh, Kaiser. Fra- uh, Fra- it's not. Uh, that's not Franz Joseph, is it? Is that Franz Joseph? Who's that king? Name that king.
1: Well, you'll have to put that in the Facebook notes. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. Guy, guy with man bun. <laughs> <laughs> the king of Austria. And uh, they're, they're all different uh, frames and uh, obviously different values and colors. Uh, this one here has the 2.5 millimeter bars that are clearly thinner than the other thicker ones.
3: And the edges do look pretty sharp. So. Yeah, you could. B- well,
0: you don't have to measure that one because, you know, you know it's the small bars.
1: Right. You can see
3: it immediately.
1: Yeah. And it, it would should be fairly easy to tell the the two-and-a-half from the four-and-a-half or four-and-a-quarter and 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 five-and-a-quarter.
0: Right, that's what we're looking at. It's half the size. Yeah, Yeah.
1: but the difference between the other two is is going to be very difficult. Yeah, yeah. Especially if you have to juggle a a side light and a magnifier and a measuring device (laughs) and (laughs) I mean, it it can be really a pain in the butt.
0: Yeah, but you know, if these fluoresce different under like a UV light, then you could actually put a millimeter gauge on them and uh, measure them.
1: Yeah, but you still have to yeah. Juggle a, a light source and work in the gauge dark and, and <laughs> a magnifier
0: and make sure you could read the ruler. Yeah, <laughs> it had better be a ruler that lights in up in the dark, too. And
1: do it, yeah, and do it all
0: in the dark. Yeah, yeah. This is a fun issue, though. Uh, Ray had a very, very large collection of Austria and a very large collection of Hungary.
1: Well, one of the things I like about these stamps is that uh they seem to be on particularly tough paper so you don't get a whole lot of thins or or tears usually uh creases but uh occasionally but most of most of it unless uh unless you're getting like a tiny corner perf crease or something like that these are generally fairly difficult to damage
3: this is a silk paper no it's um i see a lot of dark fibers in Yeah, yeah. it's... Uh, oh, gar- garnet
0: granite, granite paper. Granite paper yeah. is what it's mm. called, yes. And they did this up until 1905.
1: So, varnish bars. Do you know of any other country that used varnish bars? I know of not a one.
0: I do know that everybody was concerned about cleaning stamps. Or were they? Well, yeah, really. I mean, my favorite story is the United States. The 15-cent stamp uh the lincoln 15 and number 77 was one of the high value stamps and they printed it in black so that people could remove the cancellation and reuse the stamps easier and you know i always said what were they thinking you should make the low value stamps in black and the high value stamps in yellow (laughs) like other countries did And so a lot of countries, if they were conscious of it, they made their stamps in, like, light greens and yellows and stuff like that to make removing the cancels difficult.
3: So the varnish on, say, United States uh, wine stamps, was that also revenue protection or just... Oh, no, no. That was how they put them on the barrel. That was how they put it on the box
1: so that they didn't peel off. Okay. They, They stuck them on, and then they'd varnish over it. Yep. Well,
0: anything else? Have we hit the petering out section?
2: That's sounding more abrupt if you ask me.
0: Okay, then, then let's end abruptly.
2: Well, kids,
1: that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Sideshow Mel, Corporal Punishment, Tina Ballerina,
2: oh, and from not planning, Miss Donna Mills.
0: Oh, she was a sport.
2: We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun. But now the time has come to go. If this still cop was found dead in
1: his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show.
2: See you some other time. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
2: it's to send up. It's time to send up. Thank you for joining us. This has been Cash, Scott, Tom, and I'm your host Dawn. Continue the conversation at Stamp Show Here Today on Facebook. You can ask us questions, see pictures of the stamps, make comments, and add to the conversation on Facebook. You can also ask the experts your stamp questions at, blue paper at gradingmatters.com. You can listen to all of our past podcasts at stampshowheretoday.com, Podbean.com, iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast listening platform. And as always, keep collecting.
1: This episode of Stampshire Here Today is brought to you by the Philatelic Book of Secrets. The book that teaches you about repurfs, regums, color varieties, and much more. Get yours for $10 at www.philatelicsecrets.com. Today,
3: worst episode ever. Oh, not even close.